everyone is a minister. Have you heard that statement? Is it true? Well, it kind of depends on how you take it. If by minister you mean someone who is able, is permitted to speak about Jesus, to tell the good news about Jesus, well, then that is everybody. Christ commanded all his disciples, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them, teaching them to observe whatever I've commanded you. And uh, <clears throat> Peter tells us also, he says, you are a royal priesthood, a holy nation, people chosen by God to show forth his praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. On the basis of that verse, sometimes uh, you know, Luther talked about the universal priesthood of believers. Everyone can go to God. Everyone can speak for God. Uh, in fact, you know, even baptism. Any believer can perform a baptism, especially in an emergency, and most of our Lutheran hymnals have a small section somewhere that gives a short form of how to do this. But if we're talking about a minister in the sense of someone who is called to speak the word publicly, that is, in the name of a, a group of Christians, then not everyone is a minister. Our God has established a specially called ministry in our midst to carry out his work of proclaiming the gospel uh, among his people, um, administering the sacraments. He prepares, calls, sends out those he has chosen specially for this purpose. Um, he gives many different gifts, different types of ministry to, to different people, but those are people he, he has called specially uh, to do this work. In Ephesians, Paul writes, Christ gave, Christ himself gave some to be apostles, some to be prophets, some to be evangelists, some to be pastors and teachers. Now the time of the apostles and the prophets is pretty much gone, but we often think in our time of pastors teachers, occasionally you know, uh, staff ministers in our midst. Uh, we think of our training program that our church has set up, a college of ministry in Minnesota preparing uh, <coughs> people to enter the teaching ministry or uh, a staff minister position, and preparing some men to go on to the seminary to become pastors. And then we have a seminary in Wisconsin. It's all part of this called ministry that, that God has set up in his church in the way we have chosen uh, to carry out. But today we're going to go back to the time of the apostles. Um, in our series of growing the church, we're going to see one of the things, part of it is call an apostle. You see, we're not just going to look at things that we do that grow the church, such as you know, fill the city with uh, Jesus' teaching, we're going to look at things that God does because it's God calls an apostle, uh, the work he calls them for. And, of course, we'll look at our response to it, our support of it, because uh, this is an important part of growing the church. We go to chapter 9 in, in Acts where we meet a man named Saul. 
Now, this is the first time he appears on the scene. A few years after Jesus ascended to heaven, perhaps only five years, there was a man named Stephen who had been chosen as a, as a deacon in the church, but God gave him uh, ability through him, uh, miracles were performed, and he was arrested and uh, charged with blasphemy because he was preaching about Jesus and they didn't want that. And eventually they stoned him to death. Standing nearby was a young man named Saul. They put their coats at his feet and it says he gave approval for that execution. And after that stoning of Stephen, a great... um, persecution broke out in the church led by this Saul. And now we read about him. Meanwhile, Saul was still breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. He went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues in Damascus so that if he found any there who belonged to the way, whether men or women, he might take them as prisoners to Jerusalem. Now, Saul, who later as an apostle would be called Paul, was raised as a Pharisee, a good Pharisee, a serious Pharisee, which meant he learned to please God, you have to follow all the laws, not only in the Old Testament, but also in the ones that the Pharisees themselves had developed through tradition. And he was serious about his religion. Uh, And because of that, in society... He would have appeared to be a good man, an upright man, an example for the community of maybe a bit of a religious zealot. Uh, Now, the problem for the Pharisees was that Jesus did not fit their picture of what a Messiah should be. This Jesus, kind of a milquetoast kind of a man. He didn't have any honor or prestige or wealth. How can this man lead any kind of messiahship that they were looking for? So they considered him a fraud. And more than that, they considered him a blasphemer. After all, they had had crucified him. And now, even after his death, and he's still popular, anyone who followed his teachings was considered a heretic and had to be dealt with Saul then in his fervor for his Phariseeism, decided that these people have to be dealt with. We can't let this teaching go on. We have to stop them. So he went about arresting people that followed Jesus. He wasn't satisfied just Jerusalem. He got some letters that he could go to Damascus and arrest any followers of Jesus there. Uh, He had presided over Uh, times when they were executed, not just Stephen, but others. Yeah, he would testify later. He says, I put many of the Lord's people in prison, and when they were put to death, I cast my vote against them. This man Saul became a terror for the Christians, the believers of that era. It's interesting to note that this event, as we said, only occurred a few years after Jesus' ascension into heaven. Already this message was, was getting out. Uh, 
And ironically, and he'd already reached Damascus, 150 miles from Jerusalem. And ironically, it was because of the persecution of Saul. After the persecution started uh, uh, big in Jerusalem, the believers scattered. Some of them got to Damascus, where they continued to talk about Jesus. Others would get to uh, Antioch, further north, and a church would be started there. It started to, uh, this message spread. Paul thought he was going to stop it, but it just kept spreading. So back now to Saul. We read, As he neared Damascus on his journey, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. He fell to the ground and heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord? Saul asked. I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting, he replied. Now get up, go to the city, and you will be told what you must do. The men traveling with Saul stood there speechless. They heard the sound but did not see anyone. And Saul got up from the ground, but when he opened his eyes, he could see nothing. So they led him by the hand into Damascus. For three days he was blind and did not eat or drink anything. So Saul is riding along, contemplating how he is going to serve the Lord in Damascus. And all of a sudden, he's struck down from his horse by a blinding light. Now, he tells us later, this was midday, you know, in a desert area. How can you get a blinding light in midday? I don't know if you realize that, you know, the light outside, this is pretty bright in here, but the light outside is thousands of times brighter than it is in here. Imagine now a light brighter than that. And that's what he faced. Fell off his horse. Here's a voice. You can only assume this voice is the voice of the Lord. So that's how he answered them. And then he finds out. This is Jesus. This is the Jesus whose followers he has been persecuting. That's who this voice says he is. Wow. What's happening here? Uh, <clears throat> and he hears, you know, Jesus considers persecution of his followers to be persecution of him. So he's saying, you persecuted me, and I'm the Lord. Look, think about what you have been doing, Saul. You persecute my followers, you persecute me. You know, for example, I think if you persecuted some of Putin's soldiers in Ukraine, Putin wouldn't really care that much, would he? But Jesus does. When someone persecutes his followers, they're persecuting Jesus himself. And he's telling Saul, this is what you have been doing. Then, yeah, he's been shaken to his very core. Hasn't yet probably opened his eyes. And he opened his eyes and he can't see. He's blind. He's been humbled. Uh, and still, he realizes, hey, the Lord is accusing me of some pretty nasty things, and I've done them, but he didn't strike me dead. I'm still alive. I don't know what it means yet. He's told me to go in the city. So, humbled, he takes someone's hand and is led into the city of Damascus, where originally he was going to ride proudly on his horse. 
So we see the, the truth here that Saul was called to repentance and adjustment or readjustment, if you want to put an R in front of it. it it's a change in his whole thinking pattern. Whole life is what's going to be changing before him. And he's, so he's sitting in a room in Damascus, obviously thinking about these things. He's still blind, and he's not eating or drinking. Perhaps that was a conscious thing. He decided, yeah, I've sinned. I need to fast. I need to contemplate what I've done. Uh, <clears throat> I've, you know, had a hideous crime against the Lord. So he doesn't know what's going to happen next, but soon we will hear. Because we read, in Damascus there was a disciple named Ananias, and the Lord called to him in a vision, Ananias. Yes, Lord, he answered. The Lord told him, go to the house of Judas on Straight Street and ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul, for he is praying. In a vision he has seen a man named Ananias come, place hands on him to restore his sight. Lord, Ananias answered, I have heard many reports about this man and the harm he has done to your whole people in Jerusalem. And he has come here with authority from the chief priests to arrest all who call on your name. Now last week, just in passing, we mentioned, I mentioned a man named Ananias who with his wife had conspired to, to uh, cheat the church saying that they'd offered more than they did and those two fell dead in front of Peter as a sign to the people around him. This Ananias is different. Uh, <clears throat> this one is a God-fearing man, uh, a follower of Jesus in the city of, of Damascus. Perhaps he had fled from Jerusalem. And he had heard about Saul. He had heard that he was coming. They didn't have internet in those days. It, you know, how did that news I'm sure that when Paul got his letters to go to Damascus, he left immediately. So this news still got to Damascus before uh, Saul did. And here he hears about it. And, and I says, you're sending me to this man? He's been a terror to your people. But as the Lord's servant, he does what the Lord tells him to do. And then Ananias went to the house and entered it. Placing his hands on Saul, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road as you were coming here, has sent me so that you may see again and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And immediately something like scales fell from Saul's eyes and he could see again. He got up and was baptized, and after taking some food, he regained his strength. That's amazing. Ananias goes into this man who was a terror to the Christians and addresses him, Brother, Brother Saul, he recognized, he had believed the Lord that a great change had taken place in this man, and he's now his brother. And in Ananias' presence, Saul receives his sight again, he can see again, uh, and I'm sure that Ananias gave him some basic instruction, and he was baptized. His sins wiped clean in that water of baptism. Now, Saul probably didn't need a whole lot of instruction. Saul probably already knew quite a bit about Jesus' teaching. He just didn't believe it up to this time. But now, he hears it. 
He accepts it. He makes it his own. He is baptized. He receives forgiveness. He becomes <coughs> one of these people that he had persecuted. One with them. Brother of, of Ananias. So our second truth is Saul was called to forgiveness and fellowship in the church. In many places later in Paul's later writings, because he writes quite a few of the books in the New Testament, letters to churches, some to uh, fellow pastors, he talks about himself as being the chief of sinners. He had persecuted Jesus' followers, but he received great grace and forgiveness and mercy from his Lord. And it seems, it, we read that he went to the synagogue, or one of the synagogues, or the synagogues in Damascus, there were multiple synagogues, and was able to talk about Jesus there. He was already accepted among the believers in, in Damascus um, and spoke about Jesus. We know, you know the Christians are still gathering at synagogues in Damascus. They were not starting a new religion. They were a continuation of the faith of the Old Testament believers, just now knowing that the Messiah had come and completed his work. That was a joyous thing, actually. Now, usually Christians would eventually be kicked out of the synagogues because the Jews that were there would not accept this message. But at first, this is what happened. But then we also read, But the Lord said to Ananias, Go, this man is my chosen instrument to proclaim my name to the Gentiles and their kings and to the people of Israel. I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. Now these verses actually come from a little earlier when God had sent Ananias to Saul, but we're considering there because it is a special uh, message here. Uh, he here is where we see what God was calling Saul to do, to be for the rest of his life. Uh, the call was especially to proclaim Christ to the Gentiles. That was a term used for those who were not Jews. The Jews called themselves the people, but the word behind the word Gentiles in Greek and Hebrew is the word nations. We are the people those are the nations out there, kind of a derogatory sense. But Paul was going to be sent to the nations, but also preaching to the sons of Israel, the children of Israel also. Uh, he then later would go to many places, many cities, especially in what is now Turkey, Asia Minor, and Greece, including Macedonia in the, in the north part of that, go from city to city proclaiming Christ, he would start off with going to the Jewish synagogue, if there was one, proclaiming Christ, but often uh, he would be kicked out of there and he would turn and, and proclaim it to the Gentiles, who in general were very receptive and wanted to hear more about this. Um, and he says he proclaimed the gospel to authorities. Often that occurred when he was arrested and brought before the authorities. And then he would proclaim the gospel even under arrest. This became his mission in life. This became his passion in life. Um, he would proclaim Christ as passionately as he had persecuted him up to this time. So the truth is, Saul was called to proclamation 
and suffering. Yeah, he would have much suffering in all of this. Persecution, beaten, stoned, shipwrecked, arrested, many times. But he came to believe this message and that Jesus was his Savior. It just filled him with such joy that he had to do this. Now, we, we see that the job of proclaiming Christ to other people is actually the job of all Christians. It's the job of, of all of you out there. But God has established a specially called ministry among his people. Uh, <clears throat> to do this work in a way that maybe ordinary Christians would find difficult, perhaps because of lack of training, lack of opportunity. Often, this specially called ministry would be people that are uh, have full time and can dedicate their whole life to this work. Don't have to worry about using energy to support themselves. Now, Paul himself, he had said he didn't want to be a burden to the people he brought the gospel to because he was bringing it to, to new people. Uh, he says, I have the right to, but he didn't. So he would sometimes stop and, and he would make some tents. And that's how he supported himself. That was his profession. We only also received help from some of the previous congregations where he was. Philippi, Philippi sent him offerings when he was at Corinth, for example, uh, so that he could continue this ministry uh, on a more full-time basis. Uh, and of course, this being called as a minister, not only do you have more time, but often the specialized training to do this work. And we look at the apostles. The original 12 apostles, uh, the disciples that Jesus called, he trained them for three years as he, they went about him watching him do things and then he would take them off the side and, and teach them. Three years of training before they were sent out as apostles. Paul, he talks about in some of his writings about being instructed and taught directly by Jesus also. He was an apostle, not only called, but taught by Jesus. It may have happened uh, shortly after his conversion. Uh, he went to an area called Arabia, which is southwest of the Dead Sea, probably not all the way down to what we now know as Saudi Arabia, and maybe while he was there. Maybe that's when Jesus taught him directly. Uh, in any case, it's about 10 years from the time of his conversion until he goes out as a missionary for the first time. Uh, he did spend the last few of those 10 years helping out, helping lead the church in Antioch, in, in Syria. But he would later advise the churches, Confirmation Kids, you just studied this last week, um, that new converts shouldn't be put in the position of being overseers. They can fall into temptation that way. Um, he did, of course, he was under inspiration of the Holy Spirit when he wrote this. And Paul himself was not a new convert when he went out as a missionary. He had already been a Christian and started working a little bit in Antioch before he was ever sent out to do this work. God had a specialized ministry for him, specially prepared him, specially trained him uh, in, with instruction directly from Jesus, with time uh, in a church. This was all part of God's plan for growing the church. So what now? What is there in it for us? 
What do we learn from this? One thing we can learn is that Jesus' forgiveness can reach anyone. Who'd have ever thought to pick Saul as the, a big representative of Christ to go out and proclaim Christ to other people? Jesus did. Called him. He repented. And he believed. Uh, he was led to for, repentance and forgiveness. No one is outside of Jesus' forgiveness. He died on the cross for all sins of all people of all time. No one is left out. Uh, Paul would later emphasize this. When he talked about himself as being the chief of sinners, if God could forgive me, if God can show his mercy on me, he can do that for anyone. So we can't write off anyone as outside of the possibility of repenting and being forgiven. We, whoever we run into, whoever God puts in our path, that's who we should confess Christ to. Not worrying about, you know, is this a good member? Would this, be a good, this person be a good member of our church? Does he, would he fit in? We don't think of these because no one is outside of, of uh, <coughs> Jesus' forgiveness. Our synod has a very extensive, one of the most extensive prison ministries in the country. Writing letters to prisoners, sending uh, little study books to prisoners, and it's been very effective. Many of these prisoners have come to believe in Jesus through this ministry. They are not outside of Jesus' reach. Also, an apostle's call begins with repentance and forgiveness. Jesus wanted to call Saul to be an apostle. But it was necessary for him to go through the gut-wrenching experience of facing up to his sins, recognizing them, and then accepting forgiveness for them. Uh, this is what would start him on the road to be an apostle. Now, it seems that the other apostles, the other disciples, when Jesus called them, it seems they were all already believers. You know, they said, oh, we found the Messiah. They knew who the Messiah was, and they were looking for the right kind of Messiah. You know, even Matthew, who was a, a tax collector, he immediately left. When Jesus called him, he, he already believed in him, even if he was leaving, living a life that maybe wasn't quite so good at the time. So they were already repentant believers. But even here, we run into Peter. You know, when Jesus called him the second time, he had sent him out the first time that he had got this great catch of fish. And Peter falls down before Jesus and says, get away from me. I am a sinner. Part of the purpose of that was to get Peter to see, yes, he is a sinner. But Jesus forgave him and called him to be his Disciple and apostle. Peter would again fall. Uh, he would have lack of faith when Jesus invited him to walk on the water. He would deny Jesus three times when Jesus was on trial. And each time, Peter would turn in repentance, receiving forgiveness from the Lord. This is all part of becoming an apostle. 
The fact is, apostles are sinners in need of repentance and forgiveness as much as anyone. But this forgiveness was so uplifting to them, so encouraging them that they were forgiven by the Lord. This is what drove them to be witnesses for Jesus. Uh, They wanted others to have this same forgiveness. And finally, we see that Jesus uses specially called workers to grow his church. Paul was not just called to be to, to repentance, but was called to be an important tool in the Lord's process of growing the church. He would boldly go forth and proclaim Christ to many people. He would use his own sinful background as a way to get people to listen to him. He said, I was a sinner. I was a great sinner. I was the chief of sinners. And Jesus forgave me. He has forgiven you also. He would suffer much persecution. This was part of his work. Uh, <clears throat> now, in fact, he would have a kind of a special understanding of those who would persecute him. He had once done that. That doesn't mean that he accepted what they did. It was still wrong. But he would perhaps understand where they came from a little better. In our time, the Lord calls people to continue to grow his church also. Sometimes this call can come in an unexpected way as it did for Paul. But other times it comes more from within. Someone has a desire, yes, I would like to serve the Lord. Or someone around them encourages them. You would be a good minister of the Lord. You have the gifts. Why don't you think about training to be a minister of the Lord? You know, Paul writes later on, he says, Here is a trustworthy saying, Whoever aspires to be an overseer desires a noble task. So it isn't just that the Lord unexpectedly calls someone, but it can grow up inside of a person. As he grows in his faith or she grows in her faith, that yeah, I would like to serve the Lord uh, as a pastor, as a teacher, or whatever. Uh, and so embark on a a course of preparation, training, maybe college and seminary, or maybe just college, or maybe just learning a few more things about, you know, teaching and so on. Then a call to be a pastor, or, you know, later on, maybe even a seminary professor, but also a call to be a Sunday school teacher, an elder in the church. Anyone that's called to proclaim the gospel on behalf of other Christians receives a call from the Lord. You know, it's something you might want to consider for yourselves. If you're thinking of a, if you're at the point of your life where you're thinking of a career, maybe you've already embarked on a career. I've known several people who have chosen to become a pastor later in life, uh, go back to school to become a pastor. Uh, this is definitely a thing. Aspiring to be an overseer in the church is a noble thing. Or offering yourself as to be a Sunday school teacher or an elder. Always a need for all of these positions. You know how many elders we have here at Ascension? One. Don't you think we need more elders? This is a noble thing to desire to do that, to seek out how we can uh, serve the Lord. There is a great need for all of these things. These are all part of 
God's plan to grow his church. Amen.